Thanks for listening to a podcast from WSUM. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. You're listening to the Jump Around Podcast from WSUM Sports. Hello all, I'm Vince Hesburgh and welcome to another edition of WSUM's Jump Around Podcast where we chronicle the experiences of different people in the UW Athletic Program. To cover the role of coach, we went largemouth bass fishing and I'm happy to say something bit and for that reason it is a privilege to welcome head coach of the Women's Basketball Program, Marissa Mosley. Coach, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for coming in. I'm doing great, Vince. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I'm supposed to give you a big introduction, but if it's okay, I, we're going to talk all about your accolades and there are a lot of them. So I thought if it's okay with you, I'm going to do a quick anecdotal introduction of how I became a fan of women's basketball. I would love that. That's amazing. All right. So I went to your second ever game against Bradley uh, this year, and you guys played, you know, you played okay in that one. You won 103 to 49, (laughs) shot a school record 64% from the field. And I made the mistake of leaving early for that game. So I was there for the FSU game later on. uh, You guys were down 19 with six minutes left. Suddenly you erupted in the fourth quarter, scored 32 points, shot eight threes. It came up just short. So I was just getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden I heard like a hype man or something from the speakers, and I was looking around, and I was like, who is that? So I asked the person next to me and said, oh, you must be new here. That's Coach Marissa Mosley. So I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so how did that become a tradition for you, talking to the fans after games? Um, I, You know, I don't even know how it started, to be honest, um, but I think there was one time where maybe it was like a National Girls Women's Sport Day or something. And actually, no, I think it was like we had a pretty large crowd and um, and we had a big win. And I just wanted to kind of encourage people to keep coming back to our games, that we were building something special. And um, I've never been afraid to be in front of a microphone. <laughs> and it kind of just... Um, took and now it's almost like if I don't do it people are like wait a minute we haven't heard from coach Mo so um, it's definitely more fun to do after a win than um, after a loss but um, my message usually um, is similar in the sense of we're appreciative of the people taking the time they could be a lot of places they chose to come check out our team and that um, you know they are going to absolutely be in for um, the same level of intensity, competitive nature, um, and work ethic every game, win or lose. Yeah, that's great because, I mean, after every game, your team gets an ovation from the crowd, which is well-deserved. I mean, win, lose, whatever happens, you guys definitely fight hard during games. Yeah, that's a non-negotiable, and I think anyone who's going to come here and play for me understands that, like, we're going to compete to the very um, end, that there's no quit in us. Great. Uh, has there ever been a moment after a game where you were kind of worried you're going to say something pretty crazy to the crowd after there was like a close loss or a referee makes a bad call? Uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty good at censoring myself. I think, you know, I have enough time that we usually do varsity and I can kind of collect my <laughs> thoughts and then they give me the mic. So if it was like straight off of like buzzer, uh, here's the mic coach mode, that might be a little bit more dangerous, but um, you know, being able to kind of breathe, I'm thinking through a lot of different things while we're, um, doing that age old tradition. And then by the time that I take the mic, I've usually collected myself enough to win or loss, like 
feel like there's something that I can make sure people leave because I want them to come back. So when they're leaving, I want them to take something with them and and feel like it was worth um, their time and their money to, to come out and then support our team. Awesome. Uh, so outside of talking to the crowd at uh, your actual games, you're also a big ambassador for the Madison city as a whole. You guys, I saw, visited the school's band mm-hmm. earlier this month. Do you want to talk about what happened there? Yeah, so this started last year, um, and uh, it was kind of like I, I reached out to Corey, uh, who is the director of the band, and I just said, hey, um, I go to, I've gone to men's games and I've been obviously at our women's games, and I want to find out how we can get more of a band present at our games and you know for me having been um, at Boston University we didn't have football so we didn't have a marching band per se but we had a band that was diehard and I mean they're still incredible when I post things they still retweet it like I just it's my alma mater but still I love the BU band and so for me it was like really important to create that connection and how do you create connection well you have to create relationships and so i asked if there'd be any way that we could come and um you know participate in their training um and so we were able to do that last fall and then we did it again this fall and we've kind of made it a yearly tradition where we come out we bring 300 donuts and um you know give a donut to each member of the band um if they want it it's not force fed um (laughs) and most of them are very excited about it and uh and then our kids will march and um you know kind of have this great uh, interaction in a completely different way than they do every day. Um, and it really has gone a long way. And so I um, count them as some of our, our best uh, supporters. And and it's amazing now how many band members come and will play in our games because, you know, they have to sign up for different events or whatever. And so um, they're an integral part of us building this program. And I want to make sure that they understood how much we appreciated what they do every every day, day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, I know a couple people within the band, and they get legitimately excited to go to the women's basketball games because of the atmosphere you provide. But if I'm not mistaken, you picked up and started trying to play a tuba while you were there. Okay, so uh, I didn't try to play it because I know my <laughs> limits. I did carry it, and I did march with it, and kudos to all of the tuba players and anyone in the band. I mean, the amount of, um, you know, fitness that you have to do there. At, and, like, the first home game, it was the hottest day in the history of Camp Randall, and they have on their full garb. I mean, um, they're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> and I just was really, it was in phenomenal. Um, but every member there, they're just great kids and they're great ambassadors to the university. And I don't think they get enough credit for what they do to make sure that the game day environments, but also other events that happen on campus, um, they're a huge part of that success that um, the university is a you know, benefactor of. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about leadership. You were a team captain during your time at Boston. So I hear a lot about coaches wanting to make sure there's players on each roster who step up and be a leader. But then I also look at Deion Sanders with Colorado. I Mm -hmm. look at Becky Hammond with Aces. Feels like the coaches can still get their players pretty hyped up sometimes. So what's the relationship between being a coach as a leader and being a player leader? Yeah, I mean, I think your best teams are player led. um, And at the same time, 
um, whether it's, you know, Dion, um, like I know him, but <laughs> Coach Sanders <laughs> or, with you know, with Becky, um, Coach Hammond, you know, for, for them, they came into programs where they were trying to really establish a championship culture right from the get-go, um, as am I. And so I think there's got to be a combination. And um, even though you can have people who are natural-born leaders, they have to be empowered. They have to be shown kind of how you want them to lead. Um, and so you have to lead by example. And not every person is going to have that kind of um, attitude or approach that potentially your head coach does. And so um, it's contagious. And I think like for me, um, I'm just being who I am every day. And I feel like that's an important part of my team's um, success is feeding off of the energy, the attitude, the approach, um, the philosophy of how I want us to go about competing. No, it's funny you talk about your attitude because it seems like you're a bit of a prankster during practices. Here's a, a quote from Avery LaBarbera. She said about you, she's very serious, but she'll crack jokes on the sideline if someone airballs, she'll be the she'll be the first one to say, "Hey, Avery, the ball is supposed to go in the basket." <laughs> what, what are some of your favorite playful jabs you've lobbed at players over the years? Oh gosh, um, I've said uh, do you, there's no nil for the amount of dribbles that you take. <laughs> um, I've uh, told them that we don't have insurance for the backboard if they brick a shot. Um, I think, you know, for me, um, when you've developed a great relationship and rapport with your players, you, I should say, I feel like that allows me to, um, to have those playful moments with them and to also kind of, um, give a little levity to situations where it might feel like the tension is high and for them to understand, like at the end of the day, we're still playing a game and you gotta not be able to take yourself too seriously. Like I am a competitor and I'm serious. If anyone watches me on the sideline during a game, like I am locked in, but there's also going to be moments where I'm cracking a smile or cracking a joke, especially in the huddle when I can feel that that's rising for the kids to just kind of bring down, um, any type of stress that they're having, or maybe even I'm, I'm having, you know, and again, I said it's, the energy is contagious. So if I'm stressed, they're going to feel that too. Okay. Um, so is there like a, a line that you understand where you can push your players, but you understand there's like a certain extent where you have to stop and like bring it back? Or how do you know, like with each player, where that line is of how hard you can push them? Um, I think it's like a... Uh it's a feel thing, but also it's a communication thing because if they feel like they've been pushed too far and you think that they still have more, then it's really finding out from them, like, what about how I'm going about doing this is impacting you, right? Are you afraid to be pushed out of your comfort zone or do you feel like you're not capable of doing what, what, what I'm asking you to do? Because I'm never going to ask them to do something that's impossible to do. But a lot of times, especially when you're a young player, you are absolutely pushed beyond the point of where you think you can go. And once you get to that point, we're going to try to push you further. Like that's my job in order to try to get the most out of you. Um, and at the same time, we're not here to break spirits, right? So it's like finding that um, nuanced kind of area where it's like, what's too much, what's too not, too not too much. And then also you're reading their emotions, you're reading their body language. Um, you know, I'm quick to grab one of my players after practice or shoot them a text or get a FaceTime or even go grab, you know, 
um, a bite with them to just kind of, hey, let's level set off, off outside the court. Emotions have come down now. Like, talk to me about what's going on with you um, or how where our interactions or maybe it's an interaction with the teammate. Like, how is that impacting right now? So we can try to take a step um, in the right direction. So your games, obviously, you can't replicate the game environment totally when you're in practice. I mean, you can't really replicate the nerves that come with a late game situation. But how do you try to put your team in positions where they're comfortable in late game spots? Yeah, we just do a lot of different um, end of game situations. And I'll usually try to do it at the end of practice when they're fatigued, mentally, physically fatigued, maybe emotionally fatigued. Um, you know, and then we give them a scenario, you know, we're down one with, you know, five seconds to go or we're up two and we need to get a stop or it's a tie game and, you know, we have to go the full length of the court and they've got to execute and get a shot off and not just anything, but we're really, um, you know, trying to get it. I'll draw something up that they've not seen before because potentially we might be in a situation where, you know, if we've got three late game things and maybe we've only had our package had two that we really we're good at like I'm going to draw something that maybe the other team isn't accustomed to seeing so they're not ready to guard it but my team has to be able to execute so it's kind of continuously putting them in those positions in practice that yes you're absolutely right you can't um you can't mimic that late game nerves but at the same time the clock has an incredible way of really heightening everybody's anxiety <laughs> and just you know as you see those numbers ticking down no matter if you know it's like kids in the backyard five four three two one you know and then they're like ah you know for the win everybody has that uh, mindset when you're an athlete to like be able to put yourself in that um venue in that arena in that moment mentally to try to make sure you execute if a player cashes a buzzer beater in practice does the team go crazy and do some 100%. celebrating? Okay. A hundred percent. Like they like, especially if it's like the end of practice, but even like, you know, one of the things for me that I think this group in particular has gotten really good at is I constantly am harping on getting excited for other people's success more than your own. I think that that's a huge um, kind of component of not only the way that I live my life, but I want my team to be able to, um, to conduct themselves because there's so much reward in getting excited for, for what other people are doing than just worrying about yourself all the time. And so like for to see them get hyped up for their teammates or, you know, somebody who doesn't normally score in that way or whatever, and like really like show that emotion or jump on them or you know like push them be like yeah you know and I'm I'm right there and I, <laughs> I'll talk junk to the practice players like if our kids get a big stop or block a shot or something because to me our pra our male practice players are a huge part of uh, you know an integral part of our success too but they can get it like anybody in the gym can get it from Coach Mo in like a way that is uh, playful and I'll jab them but. If you dish it out, you got to be able to take it. So yeah. they come back at me, and I'm like, touche, that was a good one, and we all get a good laugh, and then we get back to work. All right. Uh, now, you, you, it's clear you like to build com camaraderie within your teams, but there's a pretty big age gap between players. I mean, I think the difference between a college freshman and a grad student is like a fifth grader to a high schooler. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but that's <laughs> that's actually true, yeah. yeah. So how do you manage to connect these upper-level grad students with these younger players? Because uh, sometimes they act like fifth graders, too. No, uh, no, I think um, the the common denominator is basketball and that they're all here um, to compete 
and try to ultimately be a part of something bigger than themselves. So yes, your age is, there's a level of maturity from being a freshman until you're being a senior. And at the same time, if you're coming in every day and you all are trying to become better basketball players, then basketball really doesn't have an age at that point, right? We're, we're trying to get better at this game and the game is timeless. Like it's, you know, since, you know, Dr. Naismith invented it, people are still trying to, you know, perfect um, playing this game. And so to me, then it really transcends age and it's really about, okay, we all are coming to Wisconsin to try to make a Wisconsin, to try to make Wisconsin a championship team and to sustain that type of excellence. So whether you're a freshman or you've been here for four or five years, you still have the same goal in mind. Awesome. Now, you guys do, obviously, a lot of traveling during the season. You guys just got back from Italy, which mm-hmm. is pretty awesome to see. What do you guys do for fun when you're on the road in a different college or, I guess, country? Well, different, uh, two different experiences, yeah, two, obviously. Different, different if we, yeah, that's okay. If we are um, out of the country, like in Italy, um, you know, of course, we, we were sightseeing. Um, we shopped. We ate um, in our free time. You know, I wanted to make sure that we got a taste of um, you know, cultural experiences, but also how can you not go to Italy and, and partake in like the delicious cuisine? And then, um, you know, I'm an avid shopper myself. So Florence is like um, uh, just an amazing place to do shopping. And so, I mean, it's a little bit of that. When we're on the road for, um, you know, uh, in the States, stateside, uh, it's more of a business trip in that way um, because we usually go in the night before the game. We play the game the next day um, and we'll have, you know, shoot around. We'll have during the day, the game day, we'll have shoot around. We'll have study hall. Um, they, you know, we have pregame meal. We go to the game and then we fly home that night. So oftentimes there's not a ton of um, recreational type things. Um, we do do a... Um, uh, trivia uh, every game day um, so about the area that we're in and there's teams and it can get pretty competitive <laughs> um, you know we have uh, depending on how um, the schedule sh- shakes out um, when we played at Rutgers we've been able to take the team um, to a Broadway show uh, a couple of times um, you know I want to make sure that you know we go out to a nice dinner I want them to kind of experience um the I don't want to say the finer things in life, but I think it's important that we aren't just you know thinking that this is robots, right? That we're just basketball robots and we're just here to play basketball. <laughs> like I want them to understand that you know there are things that are bigger than basketball. You know if we have people can come in and be a speaker to us or whatever. But sometimes when it's tighter like that, it's a little bit more challenging to to do um, those things outside of just prepping for the game. So when you're out and about in other cities or even in Italy, did you guys ever get recognized by opposing fans? Um, we didn't get recognized by opposing fans. There was there this because we're coming off of COVID, and then um, people were just starting. There was like a million. It's exaggerated, but there was a ton <laughs> of 
college teams on foreign tours this summer and quite a few in Italy. Um, and so like when we were leaving um, Rome, Iowa State women's basketball was coming to our like checked into our hotel the day we were leaving. And then I think, um, you know, there was men's programs there. Like so, you know, I know Vanderbilt women, who's one of my dear friends, Cheryl, they were in Italy like two days after us. I know UConn went to Croatia and um, I think they were also in Italy. So there was a lot of crossover. Um, but what was really cool, and this is something that I think is just uh, we talk about in recruiting quite a bit, is like the the how how impactful mm, that's not the word how how widespread the motion W is like how like we have, I think, four hundred and seventy five thousand six hundred and fifty living alums. I just saw this quote, uh, this, this stat recently. So we have that many living alums. And as I make this joke and countless dead ones, like who knows how many dead? No, just kidding. But anyway, so that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Right. I mean, there's, you know, I don't think anyone's keeping track of that number, but, um, but my point being like in any given year, there's 45 to 47,000 badgers in Madison. Um, and so the, the brand, the Wisconsin W, the, the, you know, kind of notoriety of the education, it's far reaching. And so when we were in Rome, we were at the Coliseum, these two um, people came up to us with their child. They were Chinese. They live in China now. And they're like, we met at Madison. Can we take a picture with you? And this is our son. He He's here because we met at Madison. I've thought like, I, I don't know that we need to have a birds and the bees conversation right now, yeah. but like, <laughs> that's like really awesome. And then we get to Venice and in our hotel, there's a guy who's from Seattle and he's a, a Madison alum. And we have a freshman in B Jones who's from Seattle. So I, I had them meet, but it's just like to be in a completely different country and still have that kind of crossover and to see Wisconsin alums, to me, it just really speaks to, um, you know, not only what this degree can do for you, but then just how far reaching it is. It's world, it's a worldwide brand. Yeah. You talk about that connection with other coaches and teams. Uh, I know South Carolina head coach Don Staley gifted you part of the net from a 2022 championship game. How do you get in contact with so many of these coaches and how do you build that camaraderie with them? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm going into year 19 of coaching. And um, so I started um, when I was, you know, one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, so it's uh, we're on the road, um, you know, every summer uh, in July. We're in the road April, May. Now we're April, May, June and July and like even into the beginning of August. So we have several opportunities to kind of interact with one another. We're not allowed to talk to recruits at that time. So we're with one another. So um, it's just virtue by virtue of being in the gym. Um, some people you've worked with, you've played against and competed against. There's just a lot of um, crossover and great um, connections that you make with colleagues. Well, I know you used to be an assistant coach at Minnesota. Was that kind of special for you, beating them this year, or was it just kind of like any other game? Um, it wasn't, like, special because I w had uh, been an assistant there. It was special because it's a border battle. So 
Um, you know, now being on this side of, of that battle, um, you know, I wanted to, to beat them because I know how much that means um, just as a Badger. Um, but also, um, you know, we go up against them for recruits. And um, I mean, any win is a great win, but it definitely felt a little bit better to, to get that one for sure. Well, you talk about going from one side of the rivalry to the other. Now, you were a Minnesota coach quite a long time ago, but is it still kind of tough mentally going from I love these guys, I hate these guys, to going to the flip side of that? Um, I wouldn't say, like, I hate them. I'm, you well, know, I want to beat them. Yeah, I want to beat them. Uh, no, because it's not like had I left that team and then came right to the Badgers and had to coach against the kids that I had recruited, that would have been extremely difficult. But because there's been such a long stretch in between, um, I still have uh, kids who I coached at Minnesota who I'm, you know, speak to to this day. I'm extremely proud to have been their coach and have no ill will. But, like, I'm a competitor, so when it's time, you know, to tip the ball, like, I want to beat your butt. (laughs) So you won five national championships as an assistant coach at UConn, and now you're filling out your own assistant roster here at Wisconsin. Just how valuable are assistant coaches to what your goal is? Oh, I mean, uh, they're invaluable, right? Like there's just you, – you can't do what you're trying to do without them. And so um, I think it's, it's priceless what they can do for you. I don't know if invaluable should have been the word I used there. They are, yeah, like it's, it's beyond, right? Like I think for um, for me as an assistant at Connecticut, I just learned so much about who Coach Ariama was, what he needed to feel like he was prepared to be successful. And I think that's the mark of a great assistant coach, right? It's not just about what you think you want to do, but it's like what does this person need who has entrusted me to come onto their staff and help them win? What do they need to win and what do they need to feel comfortable every day Um, and so for me I'm really fortunate that I have um, a great staff who even though we're a newer group right now they are working every day to learn uh, me and my expectations and kind of how we want to go about doing things to like I said build this to a championship level contender. Yeah, you know, you talk about your assistant coach hires. There's two of them I want to talk to you in particular about. Uh, You hired your former mentor, if I'm Mm -hmm. not correct. Yeah, so Margaret McKeon, she actually recruited me. I was a part of her first recruiting class at Boston University. And um, we hit it off right from the beginning. And um, she and I have just always stayed in touch ever since I graduated in um, 2004 and, um, you know, has to have, have just had a really great friendship and kind of mentor mentee relationship. And so um, we've always kind of tossed around the idea of working together at some point. And um, this opportunity presented itself, um, you know, this year. And I thought this was the right time to make the move. And it's been great. Now, she's an assistant coach for you, but are there ever moments where you still kind of feel like she's your head coach and she has some responsibility over how you control yourself? Um, I think less about, like, how I control myself, but more I think there's always a level of, like, um, you know, you want that person to be proud of you and you want them to, um, you know, like, respect uh, that you've taken what they've taught you and then you've gone on and learned other things. And so you're, you're 
wanting to have that type of relationship. And there's there's a shift, obviously, when I'm now, quote unquote, the boss. And um, but she's handled it really beautifully. And um, and really, her whole mentality is, how can I help you be successful? And and so if you've got that type of approach every day, um, it makes it a lot easier than if she thought, you know, well, actually, I'm the one in charge, and, you know, and and that's not been the approach at all. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, now, also, you hired graduate assistant Isaac Mills. Uh, he used to have a show here at WSUM, and he'll be interviewed as part of this series. What goes into hiring grad assistants? What do you look for in them? So to be completely honest, um, I had kind of in my head that I was going to do just female graduate assistants, right? Um, you know, I was a women's basketball coach trying to continue to bring more women into the game. Um, but Isaac was a four-year manager for us. Um, I had him, obviously, as a manager for two of my uh, my first two years here, so his last two. He was a head manager, and he was just phenomenal, um, not just in his work ethic, but also um, in his attention to detail, um, that his desire to be a basketball coach. Um, you know, he really is a um, has a high IQ and is a student of the game. And so the more I thought about it, um, the more I was like, you know what, I don't want to just kind of create this arbitrary, like it's just going to be women. I want really good people um, who I think will do a phenomenal job in the role. And um, Isaac was so appreciative when I told him that I had selected him to be um, RGA this year. And he's already kind of hit the ground running. And I'm really grateful that he is a part of our program. That's great. Now, I mentioned before we're going to be interviewing him later on. Are there any embarrassing stories we can ambush him with? As long oh, as we're gosh. Um, I mean, if you know Isaac, you know he is a pretty, like, mellow, yeah. low-key um, kind of guy. It's, it's funny. Like, he uh, ran a big part of our kids' camp this year and you know it's like you've got all these little girls running around and then you have Isaac like okay guys now we're gonna do you know so there there's nothing that he's done that's been super embarrassing um I'm sure that he probably has more stories about me than I do about him tell him to to keep him pg but um but yeah no I um he's just he has a great way about him that's um very unassuming, very uh, genuine, but he doesn't miss a, a beat. That's great. You know, the, the, I'd say the, the mark of friendship is being willing to throw someone under the bus, but respect is not throwing them under the bus. So yes. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so what's your, you talk about your relationship with head coaches. What Do you have a relationship with other head coaches here at UW? Yeah. So I've been really fortunate. Um, you know, the... I mean, I met um, Yvette Healy, our softball coach, on my interview, and so she's just been um, a great supporter. Um, Chris Clark, who just, um, you know, kind of shifted roles with rowing, but he, like, is just, like, awesome, and he's constantly, like, pumping me up and um, and sending good vibes my way. Um, Greg Gard, um, you know, he... I. I call him which I'm, I think I might be the only person in the world that either he allows or that does call him Gigi <laughs> but um, you know he's been such a great um, friend now you know and uh, we kind of bounce ideas off of one another but really have developed that relationship um, and uh, Neil 
uh, Jones, our our um, our new uh, soccer coach, who's had a phenomenal season um, this year already. But he, he and I met when he first got here. Um, we both came from the mid major world as head coaches coming into the Big Ten, and so um, kind of talked a little bit about the the cultural piece of that when you're a mid major um, head coach, and um, just really excited to go support his team this Sunday. Um, and you know, it's been fun, but. We uh, our our department is um, is really uh, uh, I don't want to say fun, but like <laughs> you know I think that there's a lot of camaraderie. Um, Bono has been great in wrestling, so it's like to know that you have had interactions with quite a few. I mean, we have 23 or 22 other sports besides basketball, and to to know that you can kind of interact with. Um, these men and women and, um, you know, lean on them. Paul Wilkins, um, we've been trying to get together for, you know, probably a year and a half now, but she's just obviously a, a legend. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I could go on and on. The people have been really, really, um, welcoming and accepting and excited about, um, you know, success. I, I'd be remiss if I also didn't mention Kelly Sheffield. Um, he's been a, a great supporter and willing to help, um, you know, my team and program. Um, you know, obviously it would be wonderful to take that same trajectory that they've done with volleyball. And so, um, you know, excited about that. Mark Johnson, like I could, the, the list goes on. Has there ever been a meeting where all the coaches have to get together for something? Um, so we have um, head coach uh, meetings. Um maybe quarterly or something like that. Um, so yeah, we'll all be in the room at different points. Um, we also, um, Chris McIntosh, uh, instituted our, our athletic director instituted, um, town halls. There's been about four or five of them. Um, those actually are full department. So it's really cool. Um, cause in those moments you do get to not only get kind of a state of the state, you get some different updates, but there's also some interactive pieces of it where we really get to spend time with one another. Um, and you know, just, uh, kind of fellowship. All right. You know, I, I, I know it's probably a no, but do you guys have like a secret underground bunker that you all meet in for meetings <laughs> like that? I don't think anybody has time for secret meetings. Oh. So sorry. That, sorry to burst your bubble. We okay. don't have that. I like to imagine it's like the Justice League with everyone walking right, right, right. So you're a fantastic supporter of women's sports. You talked about that before. You're a proponent of Title IX. So when you look at 2023 – with women's sports, you look at Coco Golf, uh, the Nebraska Incredible. volleyball game, absolutely. And then you see the how the ratings exploded for March Madness this year, women's March Madness. Uh, how do you see the state of women's athletics in 2023? Uh, you know, anyone who knows me, they'll ask me how you're doing. I'll say I'm thriving. I think women's athletics is thriving right now. Um, I think, you know, we just came off uh, last year, 50 years since Title IX, um, I think, you know, the Title IX babies, as uh, people have referred to them, would be um, and are probably elated with where women's sports um, are right now. And not just the level of competition and the type of athletes um, that are out there now, but it's really also um, long overdue coverage, um, fandom, uh, you know, like anything else, when you invest in something, um, you're going to have a return on it. And so um, I think there's finally been a shift to invest in women's sports to, you know, to change this mentality like nobody's watching. Like you can't say that. 
Like if you look at the U.S. Open or you you look at the women's final four, um, you look at uh, USA soccer, you, you know what I mean? Like there's the it goes on and on with the amount of, you know, obviously volleyball, like uh, an entire football stadium or here for the Badgers, the, you know, spy serve. And then, you know, I was at the, the game we had here at the Kohl Center and got to address the crowd. And like to me, that just speaks volumes to these are not one offs. Um, and it's not just trendy. Um, and I really am excited for our young girls that are up and coming. But I also think for our young boys to see it because that's um, oftentimes, right, we've seen that there's a lot of men that are as they get or boys that become men that are in boardrooms that are decision makers alongside women. And they have to see that this is the norm, that this is an exception to the rule um, and that they are, are pushing that narrative as well. You have sisters, you have moms, you have, you know, you'll have maybe a wife or a daughter. Like, you have to make sure that you are supporting and showing up for women just as much as women do it for women and that women do it for men for centuries. <laughs> um, so p- part of your staff, going back to that a little bit, you, there's David Giardo. He's also a member of WSUM. I believe he's a manager, right? Yes. Yeah. So there was a clip that we've been Rhode making. Island. Shout out Rhode Island. Sorry. <laughs> You'd love that you heard that. I'm sure he'll get a kick out of that. <laughs> so there's a clip that we've been making fun of him quite a bit for where he was practicing one on one with one of your players and oh, they gosh. absolutely snapped his ankles on a crossover. OK. Does that bring you a little bit of joy seeing stuff like that happen? I, I have not seen that clip um, and we don't have insurance for that, David. So I'm sorry. <laughs> or David, as Anna calls him. We have a, a freshman who's from Spain. So she. I told her she has to call names and she's like, David. And I was like, I love that. But um, yeah, I think the, you know, I talked about the practice players being an integral part. Our managers are also equally, if not more, um, integral to all of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, it's probably one of the most thankless jobs that you can have. Um, you have to really be a selfless person, I think, to be a manager. And we have a phenomenal group of managers. Um, you know, three came with us to Italy and um, were great and did uh, a wonderful job of kind of um, making sure that we stayed on, on task and had water and, you know, all of the kids have clean, you know, uniforms and jerseys. But, um, yeah, but I think that the other flip side of it is the relationships that they develop with our players and to have that with, you know, a little bit of one-on-one, a little bit of fun, I think that, you, you know, just similar to the band, similar to anyone else, like it's really important that the people around you understand that this is not just you're here to work for us, but that you're there's a relationship built here and um, and that there's that type of rapport. Now, it's funny you mentioned Anna Gian because I'd like to talk to you a little bit about recruiting. How do you discover international players? In yeah, the so it's actually Anna, but that's okay. Oh, and, you know, no, it's okay because for a while I was calling her Anna as well. <laughs> um, so it's a, a combination, right? There's scouting services. Um, you have contacts over there. Um, they will send you names. They will send you film. They, you know, you're kind of talking with people, um, you know, over over time um, and. It's some of it is going out on a limb. Some of it is trust. Um, but 
I'm so grateful that she's here. Um, I think she's going to really be an, an excellent addition to the to the team. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things that if it's the right fit, then you move forward. But, you know, when you're bringing anyone, like if an American went overseas or, you know, you're bringing someone from overseas here to America, it's a huge adjustment. There's a culture shock. There's a language difference. There's a lot. Um, and at the same time, I think on in both scenarios, there is a wonderful opportunity to learn, grow, and expand um, really your life. And so um, I think for her, she sees the benefit of the opportunity um, and, it, again, is handling it beautifully. Now, you've been described as an expert recruiter before. Oh. It's actually on your blurb for when you were at UConn. They, they put that on your page. So wow, okay. You must have been clearly impressed. <laughs> but you don't have to give me too many secrets, but what goes into your recruiting process that, I, that that makes you stick out from other coaches? Um, I mean, I hate when people say like, I'm so authentic, but like, I really do just try to be authentically myself. Um, I think, you know, very much so like, um, anything that you're selling, you gotta get the hook into people in the first 10 to 15 seconds of meeting them. And so, um, I don't think I usually go for like any kind of like shock <laughs> um, type of, of reaction when I meet people, unless I'm feeling spicy that day. No, but like um, more it's about like, how can I be memorable and get them excited? Like, I really want to talk to this person. And so whether it's my energy when I first come on the phone with you for a first conversation, I'm reading how you're reacting to me. If you can banter with me and I'm usually throw out something to kind of test the waters there, um, I'm hooked. If you can banter, like we're going to be like, you know, fast friends. Um, but I think it's also a combination of, listening and I, I talk a lot about that with communication there's the act of listening so finding out from them like what are things that are important to them and kids can give you like a, a standard answer because they've kind of been taught to like well you know culture and you know but really to like dive into like well, what are some you know things that and this might not be in the first conversation but it's really about getting to know them deeper than just as a basketball player because once we can connect on that level um, our subsequent conversations can really be a little bit more personal um, in the sense of I'm getting to know who you are and I know that you already have this talent but beyond the talent if I'm saying that that's an important part of how I coach, I need to actually tap into that part of you. Now, you recruit a lot of players out of state. Have you ever had to visit a player who lives a ways away? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I mean, I've done, uh, let's see, here since I've been in Wisconsin, mm, I've probably, I mean, I've gone to the East Coast. We just did a home visit in New Jersey. Um, I'm doing another one um, in New Jersey at the end of this month. Uh, I mean, we had uh, Florida. I went to, um, you know, CD down there and play. So I didn't do a home visit. But I, uh, when someone commits to us, I, I commit to at least seeing them play once in their senior year, wherever they are. So um, I traveled out to Seattle to see MB. Um, you know, and got to sit with her parents and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the travel is a part of the kind of the gig. Um, and to me, 
Um, you know, we are um, not just a national but international brand at Wisconsin. Kids and their parents know um, how incredibly, um, you know, what an incredible opportunity it is to get a degree from here. So I think that we can draw from pretty much anywhere, um, you know, as opposed to just trying to always stay regional. Now, when you say D, do you mean Dianis Jimenez? Yes. Yeah. D- does that? Do you think that really makes a difference when you you commit to flying so far away? Because she's from Florida, if I'm not. Yeah. Correct. So, uh, and she's Jimenez, just so. But that's okay. It's we're we're all learning together. But um, but yes. Yeah, so she, uh, I think it makes a huge difference. You know, I mean, I think um, for for her family, right, to see that, like, okay, yes, you have a lot going on, but I'm telling them that I'm going to. Um, commit to you just as much as you're committing to me. I'm going to take care of your child and be, you know, kind of present. I I think that you have to be able to not just say it, but you have to show up and and be um, be that person as well. So I'm going to jump into our, our final round of questions here. Okay. So you know, and there's a lot of people here. I'm part of the sports team who think that they know ball. But, okay. But you're someone who's played it. You've seen a, a ton of stuff. So there's some basketball questions that you as a coach, I want to get your opinion on. So there's nothing that frustrates fans more than the person who struggles to make free throws. And the logic is we'll just send them to the gym for an offseason and they'll be like an 80% free throw shooter by the end. Is being a good free throw shooter harder than people think it is? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, there's a lot that goes into free throw shooting. I mean, if you like if you just came to the gym and watched our team alone, we have 14 players on our team on our roster. Everybody shoots the ball different. Every single person who's learned how to play this game, um, you know, there's different ways to to get the ball into the basket. So first, you're looking at that. Second, you're looking at, okay. What's their mindset? Because really, free throws is all about like mentality. And are you able to calm yourself down, to focus, and to be able to handle the pressure? Because generally, whether it's the beginning of the game or it's you know the free throws to win the game, this is like the one time where the entire gym is stopped and everybody's staring at you, and you're stepping up to the line. And even though it's not that far away, it's like that is the ultimate pressure. So we try to put them in those positions in practice um, when they're tired, whatever. But then also you can be in the gym and shoot a gazillion free throws. But if you're not having your mindset about like, I'm going to get, you know, 30 swishes, or I'm going to make a hundred in a row or whatever. And then it becomes such a routine. And even then, Right. You see some of the best free throw shooters, Steph Curry, whatever. And they have, you know, the the broadcasters jinx. Right. Like this person (laughs) has, you know, don't say anything. And then, boom, they miss it after like three thousand straight free throws or whatever. Um, So I I think it's a, a mentality more than it is just the actual physical rhythm of doing it. All right. Now, during your playing days at Boston College, you were a oh, university. Oh. Come on, we're university. we are we are very different. We're on the same street. We're on Com Ave, but those those Eagle fans and those Terrier fans, especially in hockey. Oh, I, so that's like the equivalent of getting Michigan and Michigan State messed 100%. up. Hundred oh, percent. Yeah, gosh. yeah. Well, that's okay. Just... That's okay. I'll, I'll we'll talk about it offline. Okay. I'm sure you, as soon as I <laughs> turn this interview off, you're gonna come flying over the table. <laughs> as long as you're not from Boston College, we're fine. <laughs> So, anyways, in college, you were a brilliant defensive player. You led your team in both steals and blocks. Is defense really 90% effort? Effort, mentality, heart, uh, yeah. I mean, I tell my kids, like, 
two things that were non-negotiable are our effort and our energy. Like those are things you can absolutely control. Um, and I wasn't the most, um, you know, skilled offensive player. Um, you know, my dad probably, you know, laments that to this day. I'm 41 years old. I think he probably could, like, you know, put down that cross at this point. But, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think I was always kind of a, a selfless player. I, I enjoyed passing, but I also loved blocking shots and loved stealing the ball. And I, um, the irony is now I, I love offense as a coach. I, I um, really, having been with Coach Ariyama, I see the beauty in that part of the game as well. And so um, it's not a situation where I'm just like, don't care about playing defense anymore. But there is, um, you know, oftentimes there was this old adage like defense wins championships but um if you can't score you can't win um it's kind of coach Ariyama's thing and so I was like absolutely okay it's a totally way different way of thinking so now um I feel like I've tried to combine both and make sure that we're good at both but you know there's no better feeling than being up someone's shot oh yeah <laughs> just a crowd very hyped as mm -hmm. well it must be a great feeling now, my friend Colin, I just got to give him a shout out. Really wanted me to ask you this one. Okay. So, against FSU, Julie Pospisilova shoots 8 of 12 from three against Michigan State your first year. Hallie Douglas went 6 for 6. I got out the calculator, and Hallie's mathematical odds of going 6 for 6 is 0.002%. But why is it sometimes that players just cannot miss during games? Um, I mean, I think, like, uh, you know, um, whatever. People call it flow. Right. Like or people get into the zone. Um, I think there's times where you just everything is locked in and the hoop, it feels like the ocean and anything that you throw up there goes in. Um, and that could happen. It's kind of like when someone throws a perfect game in, in baseball, like there's just times where everything aligns and it's really kind of incredible for players when that happens because you feel on top of the world. Um, and you know, you've put in all this work for so many years and then you have games like that. Um, it's a cool thing from, as a coach to like see, um, their reaction, they see their teammates reaction, but it's also kind of a beautiful thing to watch as a fan too. And I'm sure you've been on the other side of that as well. Would you say that sometimes basketball just comes down to luck where a player just keeps making super difficult shots? Um, I mean, I think there's some luck. You, there's definitely some luck that, is, you know, you have to get a little bit lucky. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's also preparation. I think there's also, um, you know, there's skill with it too, right? Like you, if somebody is – you're playing against someone who's just better than you. And a lot of times people don't want to necessarily admit that. There's some times where you're just out bettered. <laughs> you know, someone's just better player than you or more skilled or, you know, older, whatever. Um, but then there's other times where it's like, okay, as a coach, that's our job to try to make a – um, an adjustment to take that person out of that rhythm and have someone else beat you. But there's times on those games where in there in the flow, it doesn't matter what you do, they're still going to get it done. And there, I think there's luck there. And I think there's also just everything aligns. Now, this is my biggest pet peeve about basketball. So I'm glad I have an expert to educate me. Ah. Why is it that sometimes teams run ISO plays in late game situations? Why do they do that? Yeah. Um, well, it can be a, a, a couple things. One, it can be that um, some people call it back in the day, there was one coach, I, I won't name him, but would call it find the fool. And so <laughs> they would try to pick on the worst defender on the court. 
and know that that person wasn't going to be able to check them. And so if they can blow by that person and they know it's the end of the game and that most people are either going to stay home because they don't want to give up open shots or they're going to help because they know their teammate is not a good defender then they're going to over rotate and now you get an open shot so some people that's their philosophy with isos others they're bet they want the ball in their best players hands to to make the the game winning play uh whether that's a shot or a pass um, or they know that, you know, they're probably going to foul and they're our best free throw shooter. So we want to put that person um, in that position to knock in the shot, the free throws to to win. So there's a, a, a lot of different reasons why people go ISO. Okay, and you just mean at the end of the game, it's not just about who has the ball on offense, but who their matchup is on defense as well? Oh, 100%. Yeah, because you're trying to, in the entire game, you're always trying to exploit matchups, right? So you're trying to figure out, um, if you have a advantage on in, inside of the post, if you have an advantage on the perimeter, if this team isn't really good at guarding, um, you know, off the bounce and they're better with just guarding catch and shoot or vice versa, like they're really good guarding penetration, but you can spread the floor and you have a lot of great shooters. Like there's, it's everything is strategy and it's a chess match between you and the other head coach the whole time. Now, whenever I see a post-game show after a big game, there's always a person who says that Team X just wanted it more. Is there truth to that assessment? Um, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we're not our kids nor the coaches are robots. Um, you know, as much as fans sometimes sit at, you know, home or, or they sit in the stands, they're like, come on, what are you doing? And it's like they're, they're human beings and, you know, sometimes they – they haven't an off day, right? Like not everyone's going to be perfect every single time. Um, and there's times where that team didn't show up and the other team did and they wanted it more. Um, and it was evident based off of their effort and energy and those two things that they could control. And so to me, that's not, you never want to lose a game because of that. Like the team has to just beat you. You don't lose. Like there, and we talk a lot about that with our team. Like they better come in here and beat our butts um, <laughs> instead of like we're just lost to them because we just didn't show up. Does the opposing student section have an impact on the game or sometimes you feel like you come out flat because you're in a hostile environment? I think the environment, you know, I mean, uh, you know, why we want to always uh, get great fan support and create that environment at home and the band and all of that, that's absolutely has um, – you know, an impact on how we uh, perform. And especially in when you get to the fourth quarter and you are, you know, wanting to make a run or whatever the case may be. But I think that, um, you know, it, there's also a component of when you're on the road, you got to, um, you had to block out everything that's happening around you and can't allow that crowd to as much as, you know, humanly possible to get, um, to your emotions, right? It's like really staying focused. Like these five people that are on the court right now, they have to be a really uh, connected unit. Now, Coach Mills, we're running out of time, but I got two really kind of lighthearted questions okay. before you go. Uh, do you practice your halftime speeches in the mirror before games? I don't practice them in the mirror, but um, I do 
pride myself on my you said halftime speeches yeah or oh. I guess speeches as a whole uh, I do pride myself on my pregame speeches because I usually try to use some kind of anecdote some kind of analogy some something to then get our team hyped um, and generally I, I come up with that when I'm sitting in um, the coach's locker room for the game uh, but I don't practice it um, but sometimes it'll come to me in the bathroom like when I'm in the shower sometimes <laughs> the ideas come so that might be one way and finally, you've spent a lot of time in Boston, and I've been there a couple times as well. Okay. Have you gone to Mike's Pastries before? I have gone to Mike's Pastries. I will say that um, if it came down to sweets or salty stuff, I'm always going to go salty. Like, I am a French fried chip kind of girl, but I have absolutely had Mike's Pastries. Um, the North End is just an awesome, um, you know, place there's some phenomenal restaurants there but yeah that's a staple you definitely have to go there yeah i remember my dad kept telling me that we had to go to that and i was like i mean it just looks like that it's like some old timey pack place and i had one bite and it was just yeah so, amazing right can't recommend it enough coach mosley thank you so much for your time it was a joy to interview here today thank you vince great questions i really appreciate it and i um, excited for the season and hopefully um we get even more not just you know community support but even student support you know come on out and support your fellow badgers um you know this we're doing something special here and you're definitely going to want to be a part of it awesome ending message so to you, thank you very much for coming. To our listeners, thank you very much for listening. I'm Vincent Hesperick. Hope you follow the rest of our episodes. Have a nice rest of your day. Thank you very much for coming. To our listeners, thank you very much for listening. I'm Vincent Hesperick. Hope you follow the rest of our episodes. Have a nice rest of your day. Thanks to David Giardino and Isabel Kramer for contributing the music for this podcast.